She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out. Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. But I, I wonder, how do you cultivate that kind of awareness? Because it looks pretty impressive. We gotta remember, I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) So I lived in San Francisco for the first time. I was like, ah, you know, like the Mecca. I can't wait to like get to know this place that I, you know, has been kind of like my destiny my whole life in the whole like tech world. And I fucking hated it. Hated it. (laughs) Because everybody was like me. Somebody that's, you know, that's really, really close to me specifically said, if I had it my way, I would never be alone for a single minute for the rest of my life. And I went, I can't imagine. That's a nightmare. That'd that'd be seriously like worse than jail. Jail doesn't sound so bad. Never being alone? Oh, God. That's hell. That's true punishment. Also very different than the the common life everywhere, and I get you. You said it probably isn't that different for you because you've been traveling since you were one, and and that that definitely played a big part. But I, wait, wait, wait! Come just, on, just say it. Just say my life is a little far out. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, I was waiting for you to say that phrase. Well, hello, beautiful people, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Far Out Podcast. Welcome. Today is a very special day, and we have a very special guest, and we had a great conversation with him. We are talking to Derek Sivers today. Yeah, Derek has been a musician, a producer, a circus performer, an entrepreneur, a TED speaker, and a book publisher. He started CD Baby and Host Baby a long time ago, in his own words. And I think he sold it to the tune of $22 million. Something like that. He has a short audiobook that'll tell you everything about it. It's called Anything You Want. And it talks about all the things he learned while starting, growing, and selling the business. I highly recommend it. It's a nice short book, but it has a lot of great insights in it. He's a self-described monomaniac, introvert, slow thinker, and he loves finding a different point of view. He writes at Sivers.org, and he's a California native who now lives in Oxford, England. Let's just get into it. Let's just get into it. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, Alistair. Good morning, everyone. Or good afternoon or good evening, wherever you are in the world. And let me uh, start by saying a couple of days ago, Alistair told me or Alistair kind of realized almost for the first time that it might not be morning for you when you listen to this episode. (laughs) I think I was questioning, you know, I was asking Julie Roxanne, what do you think, you know, maybe after episode 100, Maybe I give up the good morning, good morning. Should I, should I keep like it? I feel like it's a staple. I feel like we can't do that. I think I was just having, a, I was having in a moment of uncertainty. <laughs> I know. There's been plenty of those recently. <laughs> Anyways, what's happening today? Well, today we have a really special guest on the podcast. Yes. Derek Sivers is joining us. 
And this is a special moment for me because I've been following Derek for near a decade at this mm-hmm. point. He's been a really big influence in uh, my career. And you know, it's just amazing to uh, be here and have him on the podcast. And without further ado, Derek, welcome to the Far Out Podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Derek, I have to say that for me, this is quite a moment because I've been reading you for almost a decade at this point. And uh, I remember picking up your book, Anything You Want, back when I was first in startups. And I've been fascinated by your journey and also the way you think pretty much ever since. <laughs> I just reread all of our emails since 2012 this morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's about when you I... You sent emails in 2012? Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. That's funny because when I emailed you, and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember you. I was like, whoa, do you really remember me, Derek? It's <laughs> amazing. I have my systems, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for those of uh, those listening that might not know you, could you maybe just share a little bit about who you are and perhaps a little bit about your journey? Um, let's see. I was born in California. I started traveling the world when I was one year old. I decided at 14 I wanted to be a rock star, and I was monomaniacally focused on that one single goal. Total workaholic. Like, really, really serious about doing that. Went to Berkeley School of Music. Moved to New York City when I was 20. Again, just focused on being a successful musician. And let's see, had a job for two years. Quit my last job in 1992 at the age of 22. I was in a circus for 10 years. Uh, I was a ringleader MC of a circus uh, from the age of 18 to 28. I stopped only when I got caught up in this little hobby I started called CD Baby, which took off and became the largest seller of independent music on the web. And I did that monomaniacally for 10 years, uh, from the age of 28 to 38. And when I was 38, I felt done. After doing that for 10 years, it was too much responsibility. I had 85 employees and I didn't like it anymore. So I stepped away, sold the company and have been kind of nomadically Traveling, thinking, writing, speaking since then. How is that? That's great. <laughs> I, I've heard you describe yourself as just a writer these days. And is that fairly accurate of the way you think about yourself nowadays? Yeah. It's more like I realized that I used to kind of have a list like, I am this and this and this and this. Mm. And I realized like, mm, I'm saying entrepreneur, but that's like that was 15 years ago. I'm mm. not really doing that anymore. And I say programmer, but that's really my hobby. It's not my profession. And I've been saying musician, but, you know, it's, it's a language I still speak, but I don't think it's an active verb for me anymore. So, yeah, writer is the one thing I'm the most serious about. I'm curious because I know you've made a couple of major transitions like you just shared about in your life. And in, and from, from listening to other podcasts, and I know that at least two times you felt like you were going to do this forever. Mm. One being when you were running CD Baby and the other one before that as a professional musician. How do you navigate saying no to something that you have said yes to for so long? Ooh, good question. Um, I find that if you just tell people that it's a trade-off, if you say, well, okay, there's two kinds of saying no. There's saying no to yourself and saying no to someone else. So mm. let's talk about the obvious, like saying no to someone else, because that's mm. the harder one. So 
first, maybe either way, for both of them, you need to know that it's a trade-off. Like, there's just no way that you can do both that thing and the other thing that you want more. Everything will suffer if you try to do too much. So I just say, hey, I'm sorry. I wish I could, but I can't. Mm. Uh, I really need to focus on my unfinished thing or on this one thing until I finish it. Uh, but like, for example, if somebody's asking me to do something, I say, you know, please ask again someday if this offer still stands. Like, nothing personal. <laughs> it sounds yeah. wonderful. I really <laughs> honestly wish I could do it, but I just know that we all have limitations on time. I really need to focus on this one thing. And what's amazing is that people almost always say, oh, dude, that's awesome. Oh, man, that's so cool that you're staying focused. Hey, no worries. No problem. I totally understand. <laughs> and often they tell me like, man, I wish I would say no to more things in my life. I really admire that you just said no to me for that. Mm. So I feel like I actually get rewarded doubly for saying no, you know, I get the free time and I get the praise <laughs> from the person that I said no to because they think it's really cool that I'm staying focused on something else. So, yeah, I find that if you just tell somebody that you have to say no because you're focused on this other thing, everybody totally gets it and understands and there's nothing to be scared of. Yeah, and I feel like there's also there's another thing that's like a bonus on top of this is that you're modeling for other people that they can't say no to. You know, it's yes. not just, oh, that's awesome, you're focused. It's I find that the more I found my own boundaries and the more I say no to things that don't align or don't like don't resonate with my current focus, as you said, nothing personal, that a lot of people get it provokes them to think of, oh, I, what am I saying yes to that I shouldn't be? And and I, I think that's a really inspiring way to approach this yeah go ahead if you have anything to say here well it can kind of mess with you it's it's tough when you have to make the identity decision mm. right like like i guess is maybe alistair that's where you're going with that it's like i was a musician and at a certain point i had to admit i'm no longer a musician you know yeah. i was an entrepreneur at some point i had to admit i'm no longer an entrepreneur and i think this comes from that same thing I said about the trade-off, like, you have to understand that you can do anything, like anything in the world, you can do it, but you can't do everything. You need to decide. And the Latin root of the word decide comes from the word to cut off. So to decide is to cut mm -hmm. off options. So I have to just trust that if I really want this thing, this part of my identity bad enough, even if I'm cutting it off right now, if I'm saying like, hey, I am no longer an entrepreneur, I have to just know like, if this is something that I want badly enough, it'll come back. Nothing will stop it. Yeah. I think that that's interesting. I'm thinking about, you know, some of the identities I've had and definitely one of them was, I don't know, I was general manager of a startup, another one later. And it's, it's funny how like you get out of them and you're like, oh yes, I'm out of that. I, like I feel free. And then I find that I've fallen into a new identity in a way. And it's useful to have an identity, definitely. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's nice in this being human thing. But I, 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 I find, you know, how do you not, like, how, how do you decide? I, I think you were kind of hinting at it, but I've definitely struggled with old identities, like kind of popping back up and like, oh, you know, am I, I'm not really, I used to be a traveler. I'm not really a traveler anymore, right. at least like in my concept of it. But there's still this like, nostalgia and like longing yes. for it and yeah i'm wondering how you deal with that because 10 years as a musician as uh, something that you were 
you know, born to do. I mean, or at least at that age, you, I'm sure that that was part of it. And then, then as an entrepreneur and you had wild success and like, do those things really die that easily? Mm. Well, you have to admit when your mission has changed, right? Like first it helps to look at your actions, not your words. Like if I've been saying I want something for a long time, but not doing anything about it. Mm. I used to think that means I really want it. I've been saying I want this for a long time. That must mean I really want it. And I've only recently come to the conclusion that no, in fact, the opposite is true. If I've been saying I want something for a long time, it actually probably means I don't really want it. Because otherwise I would have just done it. So vice versa. If I've been repeatedly drawn to something... Like if my past actions keep doing something, then that must be something I want. So I'm going to just, sorry, this isn't really an identity thing, but kind of, I'll I'll pick a recent example from my life. Like Mm -hmm. I've been saying that I want to live in a dense, multicultural, very international city. I've been saying that for years, but my actions at every step, I always choose silence, solitude, Mm -hmm. and nature. So like, Mm. even on a small day-to-day level, right? Like this morning, no, actually, let me back up a few weeks. I've been getting up early to go on like a a 9 a.m. walk through a huge park here in Oxford. But there were too many people out at 9 a.m. So I started going on the walk at 7 a.m. And still I would see some people and it was okay. But then I started doing the walk at like 5.30 in the morning. It's like, ah, there we go. Now I only see a few people. So this morning, just kind of by accident, I woke up at 3.40 in the morning. And I was like, huh, I'm wide awake. I'm going to go on that walk right now. (sighs) And so I was out the door by 4 a.m. and I went on this two-hour walk. And you guys, it was the best one ever. I was like, (gasps) I'm the only human being awake. This is amazing. (laughs) And like this park is filled with all these little bunnies. And because I was like the first person to walk through, I saw like 300 rabbits around me this morning. And it it was just like, I I got to see the sky turn from dark blue to to orange to pink. And I was like, oh, man, This, this is my favorite thing. And it's like, I know I say... I want the intellectual stimulation of living in a dense multicultural city. But yeah, come on, look at my actions. Mm. I get every step, no matter what I say, I keep choosing more and more and more solitude, silence, and nature. So, mm. um, but anyway, sorry, there's one more thing is that, that second, you need to acknowledge when you're making these transitions, right? Like a certain identity of yours has expired. You need to acknowledge that it's not that one was true, and the other one was false or a lie. Instead, you need to acknowledge that you actually do want both things. So instead, you need to figure out how to balance them, like how to acknowledge both, as if both are actually like little selves inside yourself, right? You don't completely banish one self down to the basement. You, you acknowledge both. So that might mean setting up balance that will acknowledge both of these selves inside of you. Like if you want to be a musician, but you also want a good income, well then instead of feeling like I need to decide one or the other, am I going to get a job or be a musician? No, instead you can decide that you need to acknowledge both, right? So you go get a good paying job that doesn't suck your soul. Like you kind of give it 
only your nine to five and that's it. At 5 p.m. you are out the door and you don't let it exhaust you. And then every night you come home and do at least two hours of uninterrupted music making just for fun, just for love. And then don't try to make money from your love and don't try to love what you do for money. And if you can balance these two, it's like, okay, now you've acknowledged both of these identities of yours instead of saying one was right and the other is wrong. I really love that. And for me, it, it kind of links, there is still a tricky part to this, or or at least I, I find that in my own life where I have to kind of rank my values. You know, if if I decide that, okay, I have the, these two selves, I have the wanting to be an artist, but also wanting to have a good, comfortable financial situation. I still have to decide, okay, what's the priority? Because at the end of the day, getting a nine to five, even if it doesn't suck all your energy and you still have your mental energy, you're still spending most of your day there. Uh, and I, I think that's, I, I don't know if I have a question going to, down this, but I'm just, I find myself thinking a lot about this idea of how do I rank values? How do I prioritize? How do I know what's most important and what's not? And and I feel like there is always something that you're not doing. If you're doing right. something else, you're not doing, you know, if you're doing the, the job, you're not doing making music during the day. And right. I, I don't know if you have anything to say about that. Yeah. Two thoughts. Again, we're recording this in May 2020. So no matter when you're listening, it, it's a, a time in the world where everything's been flipped up and upended and all that. So one thing we got to say is like, you got to acknowledge when your values have changed, right? Like you might have said for the past six years that adventure and travel is the most important thing to me. And then suddenly this happens and you go, huh, Actually, you know, six months ago, adventure and travel were super important. But right now, hmm, I think I'd like a little safety and stability right now. Mm. So it's important to acknowledge when your values have changed and not think that this is, you know, um, that you need to stay true to who you were before, right? But when I'm trying to decide what's interesting, instead of asking myself, what do I love doing? I like to reverse it and ask myself, what do I hate not doing? That's, <laughs> That's a, really It's good. a much more fun question. Like, if you banished everything from your life, what would you hate the, what would you miss the most? What would you hate not doing? That's a better indicator. But more than anything, kind of like I said before, just look at your actions. Like, look at your past self. Look at what you keep choosing again and again. Like, when I started CD Baby, I was a full-time musician, right? Like I was completely devoted to being a successful musician. This is all I wanted in the whole world. And you can't see right now, but I'm doing that hand gesture of like, you know, pointing straight ahead like a laser, right? <laughs> so, so at least that's what I said. But every day I was spending like 12 hours a day working on this new website I made because it was just so damn interesting. Mm. I would stay up working into the night, like until two in the morning, just fascinated, just learning and growing and building every day. And then I started to notice that I was actually disappointed when someone offered me a music gig because that meant I'd have to stop working on this website for a day. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I just want to keep working on my site. I don't want to go do another gig. And I was like, oh, wow, what did I just do? That's so, I just, I looked at my actions and then I finally acknowledged that something in me must have changed. 
And now I love this more than making music. So yeah, again and again, that's my advice is like, ignore your words mm. and look at your actions and just notice what fascinates you. I really resonate with that because I teach uh, a mindful money program. And part of when I work with people uh, trying to realize more financial freedom is what we do is we actually just exactly what you just said, basically, like, we're going to look at your actions. So I have them come up with their expenses for the last month, maybe two months, and we will go down line by line and look at what they spent money on with the idea that your past actions are a good indication of what your actual values are. Wow. And and the part of the practice of that is to be aware of it, right? Because that's actually how you can make different choices in the future, or at least be aware of where you're at. And I'm wondering for you, because you seem... I mean, you seem to have quite a self-awareness that I, I don't know if it comes naturally for you or not, but it's, I think it's pretty impressive from the outside. And I'm wondering if you have any kind of practices or how you, you know, create that, that kind of space to be aware of these values. I understand the um, just pruning things, <laughs> but I, I wonder how do you cultivate that kind of awareness? Because it looks pretty impressive. Well, you got to remember, I'm old. <laughs> um, like this thing that you just said about teaching students that, you know, to pay attention to their actions. Dude, I didn't learn that till I was 48. <laughs> you know, I'm 50 now. Like, that's a brand new thing to me. I've been paying attention to my words my whole life. And only like at the age of 48 did I say, huh, that's actually pretty inaccurate. So, um... I journal a lot. Uh, mm. Like I spend one to three hours a day just writing privately. And if I'm going through like some massive decision in life, like what country to live in, it's like it can be five hours a day. I like to ask myself questions. And then most importantly, I like to question my answers, right? Like I like to doubt myself and I assume that I'm accidentally lying to myself. Right. Like I just, I don't, I assume that the person speaking is a liar, meaning me. Uh, so I like to dissect my beliefs and habits and actions and see if they might be hollow. So, um, yeah, if I seem self-aware, it's just because I spend a, probably more time journaling than almost any other action in my life. One thing that came to mind, and, and I think uh, it also is because I'm very much in touch with my feelings and I'm very, um, I can be very critical of myself. And, and something that you said that you said you wanted to be a musician, that was all that all your words were saying this, but then you were spending 12 hours a day building this website and you started realizing that you'd rather do that than playing music, even if you got offered a gig. Was there any like... I don't know, disappointment in yourself or feeling like you betrayed your former self because you had these dreams of what you were going to be and and all of a sudden you had to change? Like, was there a lot of feelings or was it really like just a process of observing what you were doing and coming to rational conclusions? Yeah, it, it, I get what you're saying and I would have felt that except the new thing I was working on was just so damn exciting. Mm. You know, nothing was pushing me away from music. I was just being pulled towards this new thing because I was so into it. 
and the it really helped the world was rewarding me too right like all those years as a musician i did pretty well as a musician that no i wasn't a super rock star but you know i bought a house with the money i made touring right like technically i'd say i was a success i was proud of myself but it was always hard it, it always felt like a struggle it was always uphill mm. right like i was always having to pick the locks on the doors of opportunity <laughs> you know they never <laughs> opened for me um and as soon as i started cd baby just whew, all the doors flung wide open everything went my way everybody welcomed me everybody loved this thing that i had made and gave me the red carpet treatment so the world was rewarding me more than ever before in my whole life. Uh, So it was pretty easy to go like, all right, well, you know, that was also, you got to understand, it was 15 years of my life Mm -hmm. that I was a full-time musician. And by the time I started CD Baby, I was feeling like, okay, that that was good. I had fun. I learned Mm -hmm. a lot. I did it. I can kind of tick that box and say that that's done, you know? Yeah. Was there a particular transition that was very hard for you? Hmm. I recently gave away my musical instruments. That was, I was torn on that one for a long time. Every day I had two guitars and a keyboard sitting here staring at me. No, even worse, two guitars, a keyboard, and this thing called the uh, Native Instruments uh, Complete Control thing. That was the machine. That's what it was called, the Native Instruments machine, which was like a whole new thing I wanted to learn. It was just like, it was going to be like learning a whole new instrument. And every day I would look at these instruments and my soul would be a little Mm. torn thinking that I should spend some more time doing that. But after I do these other things and every day I went to bed a little disappointed that I didn't make music. So um, that lasted a few years until just a few months ago when I gave away all my instruments to a full-time musician friend of mine here. And um, yeah, I felt good about it afterwards, but that was... It took a long time for me to get to that point and really admit to myself, like, nope, I'm just not making music anymore. That's so weird to say, but it's true. Mm. Something you mentioned in the and how you journal, and I think this kind of moves into another uh, kind of topic that we wanted to explore with you is this idea of the counter melody and singing the counter melody. And you have a you have a really beautiful blog post on this. I wonder, would you mind just sharing? how you think about singing the counter melody? Sure. I feel that there's the common narrative. (laughs) There's the general accepted truth. There's the thing that most people say. So I just call that the melody. Mm -hmm. And the reason that my blog posts sometimes seem a little strange is because I feel that there's no reason to sing unison with that melody that's already out there. So instead, I look for something to be the counterpoint to it, something that is not harmonizing with it. Because, you know, true harmony, now again, I'm making shapes with my fingers here. I'm drawing like, you know, two fingers going up and down in the same directions at the same intervals. But, you know, somebody's singing a C and somebody's singing an E, but they they go up and down in Mm. the same direction. That's just singing harmony. But a counter melody is like real counterpoint, right? Where you have two melodies that can intersect and and they are truly two different melodies but they can go simultaneously and make a more interesting piece of music so yeah i i think of what i write as not the definitive be all end all you know don't listen to those people no this is the definitive truth 
I don't think that. Instead, I think of it as a counter melody that's that's aware of the melody that it's singing against, right? So why am I like this? <laughs> you ask? No, you didn't. Uh, <laughs> we, yes. <laughs> but I think it's, um, it might be because I moved around a lot ever since I was born, right? So wherever I've lived, I've felt I'm not from here. And therefore, their norms don't apply to me. Like their expectations don't work on me. Then at 14, like I said, I decided I wanted to be a musician. So my entire high school experience, you know, they're, they're all talking about how to get into a good college so you can get a good job. So none of that applied to me. And then from the age of 18 to 29, I was a professional musician and in a touring circus. So the things that people do to try to be respectable adults <laughs> didn't apply to me. You know, wearing a tie and a watch and getting a salary and insurance and a mortgage and trying to build stability... Like, nah, I, I was surrounded by circus performers and musicians. Like, none of us had any stability and none of us wanted it. I quit my last job in 1992 when I was 22 years old, and I haven't had a job since. So now I think that this has been my reality for so long, like my whole life, really, that I don't even think about trying to fit in. In fact... You know, what's funny, I never, although I was born in Berkeley, California, we left when I was like two years old, and I never lived in California after that until I was 38. And I was selling CD Baby, and I was seeing a girl that lived in San Francisco. So she said like, hey, I, I can't really come to you. Can you come to me? I said, sure. So I lived in San Francisco for the first time. I was like, ah, you know, like the Mecca. I can't wait to like get to know this place that I, you know, has been kind of like my destiny my whole life and the whole like tech world. And I fucking hated it. Hated it. <laughs> because everybody was like me. I was like, Oh, God, mm. I fit in. Ugh, uh, I don't like this at all. I lasted like a couple months there and I had to get out because I fit in. I didn't like it. So, um, That's terrifying. Yeah. So I think this, this counter melody, this thing about like the fact that I just don't really do anything by the norm. I just don't pay attention to the norms. I just assume they don't apply. Is actually especially weird in tech, like in programming, where... I like coding everything myself with no frameworks. Uh, I use the OpenBSD operating system instead of Mac or Windows. Uh, I like doing functions directly in my database instead of JavaScript. And I, I like managing my own server instead of using the cloud. Right? So people can understand me not wanting a job, but not using the cloud? Whoa, dude, now you've gone too far, man. Wait, wait, seriously, man, you, you're not thinking straight if you're not using the cloud. We're all using the cloud. You know, so it's, it's funny how there can be this group think in, in, area, in these really specific pockets like programmers, right? So I don't use Google or Facebook or Spotify or Instagram or WordPress or Netflix, and I don't think I'm missing anything. I just feel like the whole world is kind of playing this you know, playing a game of cricket or something where I don't even know what the rules are and I don't even, it just doesn't apply to me. I feel like there's one thing you might've left out, or at least I have a suspicion here from, from my own experience, because I know that you are a Myers-Briggs INTJ, which is, you're pretty, I mean, and you've also described yourself as an introvert. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm also an INTJ and I'm just, I'm, I'm curious because I think 
it seems to be me to be in a little bit in our DNA, this, this counter melody thing mm. and, and not quite fitting in or wanting to. I'm wondering if um, this uh, has, has being introverted, has that played a large role in your life? Was that something you had to discover or was it something that you were always fairly comfortable with? Because I know for me, um, I think I really resonated partly with, with what you, everything you're saying about the counter melody because I felt like I haven't always picked that. I felt like I've just been in that and, and I don't really have a choice. And sometimes that, that can be challenging, right? And, and so I'm, I, I'm curious for you if that, that was ever your experience or if it was something that you kind of embraced from the beginning. That's a really good question. I honestly never thought about that. That, um, yeah, I think you're right. That when I think of my extrovert friends, they like being in a group. They really, really like being in a group. Some of my dear friends hate being alone. Like, yeah, somebody that's, you know, that's really, really close to me specifically said, if I had it my way, I would never be alone for a single minute for the rest of my life. And I went, <laughs> I can't yeah, imagine. Yeah, I it. Oh, that's a nightmare. That'd, that'd be seriously like worse than jail. Jail doesn't sound so bad. Never being alone? Oh, God. That's hell. That's true punishment. Anyway, but I guess if that's your value system, if you always want to be in a group, well, then, yeah, by definition, you want to fit in with the group because that's how you make a group, right? And so yeah. you're right. I almost always would rather be alone. And so, yeah, you're right. That's a very physical metaphor for just standing apart that, no, I don't want to be in any groups physically mm. or, yeah. you know, belief wise. Yeah. There's another connection I made from what you were saying um, that I think it might be interesting just to point out. And I don't know anything about music theory, but we were talking about point counterpoint and it strikes me as like, that's kind of like also the dialectic method to some point. It's just this tension between two opposites and that uh, that's often a catalyst for a new point, right? Or like that kind of drives, I would guess that probably drives the song, but mm. it, it tends to also drive growth, right? In a person, right? When you have two tensions and you have to kind of navigate them and find a novel solution. And I know enough about you to know that growth is very high on your list of values. Uh, at least it, it seems to be. And uh, perhaps that has to play with this this approach you take and this this counter melody thing is it's actually a way to kind of spur growth in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's also that I'm an experimenter, you know, so if one thing is already a given, like, okay, well, everybody's doing this thing that way. That's, we don't need to experiment there anymore. That's, they've done that. How else could it be done? You know, it's all just a big fun experiment. So yeah, what's another way to think of this? What's another way to do that? Yeah, I, I really like that. And it, But I keep wondering when I hear you uh, say this or write about this is, What's the bigger value behind this? Like, why is it? Is it just because it's fun? Is it because you feel like it drives the, the world forward? Like, why Why is it so? Because, for instance, I I like to experiment a little bit, not too much. You know, like I like some comfort and I actually uh, putting myself out of my comfort zone is not a thing that I feel is easy to do for me. And there's a lot of resistance. And I'm just wondering, like, what is the bigger value behind it for you? Do you feel, do you feel because it's because it's just fun for you? Or is it because you feel like hey, there's a bigger purpose behind it? That's a great question. Um, you're making me realize there's a difference between 
my life and my writing. So even when, you know, you quoted back at me my thing about the counterpoint or singing the counter melody, I didn't mm-hmm. say that my life is a counter melody. I just said that my writing is a counter melody. Mm. So, mm. so no, I'm not trying to live my life in some deliberately uh, veering away kind of path. But I do deliberately do that with my writing because I feel it's kind of my job. Like, mm. why put out words that have already been said? Why put out an opinion that that's already out there? Like, it's already out there. We don't need somebody to say that again, you know? Yeah, me too. Um, so instead, I only try to put out writing that says something I haven't heard anybody else say, mm. right? But for my life, it's more about trying to get down to the first principles of things, right? So because I said earlier, like I tend to ignore society's norms because they just don't feel like they apply to me. What I'm really doing then is I often just stop and reflect on first principles, meaning I just ask myself, so what do I really want? What's the real Mm. point of this, of what I'm doing or thinking of doing? So I just ignore the world, ignore norms, and just be honest with yourself. Like, ask yourself what you really want. And then when you answer that sincerely and it feels true, perhaps you've doubted yourself and attacked it and questioned it and it's still come out true that, no, this is true. Well, then you just ask yourself, what's the most rational, efficient, direct way to get that outcome? Do I need to go through this little ceremony that other people are doing or can I just go directly to it, you know? Yeah, so with my actual life decisions and how I live my life, it's usually more of that. I'm just kind of ignore the norms and I just go for what I really want. And sometimes it turns out to be exactly what other people are doing too, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't deliberately not do what other people are doing, of course. You know, we, I'm, yeah. you know I'm writing or we're talking right now from like a normal little two-bedroom house in an Oxford suburb. You know, it's not like I'm dangling from a treehouse in a helicopter right now or, you know, <laughs> living underwater in some weirdly <laughs> alternative life. But but as far as the, um, you know, society's influence, you know, going against societal norms, I think of it this way. Like, imagine, I was going to say a place, but um, no, let's just make it an imaginary place. Imagine you're just in a very foreign land, <laughs> You know, it's funny. You guys are in Guatemala. I'm in England. We're both from California. It's like, oh God, I was going to, I was going to try to pick a place that's alien to both of us, but who knows what that would be. So just, let's just say, imagine a fictional place. You're in a foreign land. And let's say that all the local people all touch their left elbow with their right hand to ward off evil spirits whenever they say any word that begins with the letter K. Okay. So if you were staying in this land, even for years, you probably wouldn't adopt this belief, right? So even if you felt like imitating this action out of cultural respect, you wouldn't suddenly subscribe to the entire concept of the evil spirit and a belief that touching your elbow would keep it away, right? Mm -hmm. Even if they said, oh, no, 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 guys, you really should do that. Otherwise, the evil spirits will get you. You'd say something polite because you're considerate and empathetic, but still, you wouldn't feel actual pressure to conform because mm. you just know that that's just not congruent with your beliefs. So you'd just be completely unaffected by it no matter what they say, 
Like they could say, no, 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 you need to do this. And you'd go, uh, okay, thank you. But mm. <laughs> so that's how I feel when people tell me that I need to do some societal ritual that's normal for them. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, you have to call your mother on Mother's Day. Oh, my God, you can't not call your mother on Mother's Day. What are you, crazy? You know, <laughs> or whatever it may be. Like, I just picked that one because it was just Mother's Day a couple of weeks ago, right? But, yeah. but the world is filled with these things that even some dear friends of mine are shocked that I'm not following this thing that is clearly, objectively just true and I must do. And I think, uh, no, that's, that's your, just your belief that... I don't subscribe to that. Um, and they try to rationalize it, you know, with some belief system that I don't believe. And so it has no effect on me at all. I, suspe yeah. I suspect that it, that you benefit from, like you said, being older, right? Like you have a track record at this point and, and you've successfully navigated a lot of areas of life. Would you have any advice maybe to someone that this is more of a leap of faith like where they're not so sure, maybe someone that's 20, 21, 22, what would you suggest to them when maybe experience isn't on their side? Hmm. Experiment. I mean, the, the best place to start is start by saying no to things. Like just get more practice saying no. No is just the easiest first start because you can you can just say no to things. Like somebody says, you need to write a business plan. You say, no. Somebody said, well, you really should track analytics on your website. You go, no. <laughs> you should really find a mentor. No. You need to celebrate New Year's Eve with us. No. <laughs> you should really take more photos when you travel. No. Where's your social media presence? No. You need more social media? No. You know what you need to do? You need to follow your passion. Mm, no. I know. That the world's going to always, always, always tell you that you should be doing things. And I think it's really healthy to just say no to all of it by default. And maybe quietly later, consider things after you've said no by default, then consider it. Mm, I like um, that. I like that because I, I do think that for most of us, the default is yes, like right. you're saying. And so just to switch that default, right? Yeah. It's like you have to, you, it forces you to think about it slightly differently, but it saves a lot of energy by just saying no as a default and then having to actively make the decision to say yes than the other way around. And when you've said no to family and Christmases for six years and you end up coming on the seventh year, people are thrilled. <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa, I didn't expect you to be here. It's awesome. So happy. Yeah, exactly. That's weirdly I, specific. You're speaking from experience. <laughs> I, it, it's not, it hasn't been six years yet, but it's <laughs> bordering on it. <laughs> I, I'm curious because I also know that I love your idea of, of saying no and, and kind of changing the default. It's it's kind of a trick I also use in other contexts. I'm wondering, uh, because I know, especially when you're a musician, I, I love the story you shared on Tim Ferriss's podcast, and we can just link to that so people can listen to it, about when you were starting off as a musician and your friend had a gig, I think, and he didn't want it and it was like 75 bucks and it was going to cost you to, uh, it was going to cost $50 for you to travel up and it was a pig show and it was to play music at a pig show and it's going to be, and you took the gig. And I think part of the theme of that, when you're that part of the conversation was saying yes to everything. And I love your idea of hell, yes or no, which is, I think kind of embedded in what you're talking about too, is you just say yes to things you're really excited about. But I also wonder 
I, I feel like there's context for that, right? There's times where that's the right mode, but then there's times perhaps, and I know this is true in my own life as well, where it's, it's actually really good to say yes to a lot of things. And maybe, I wonder if maybe you might compare those. When, when has been a good context in your life for taking one strategy? And, and I think you've already kind of talked about the context for saying, saying no, but I'm curious, when is it right to say yes to everything? Okay, I'm so glad you asked that because hell yeah or no got surprisingly popular as an idea. Somebody even showed me that like some company in Singapore like making tea mugs of it and somebody in Bangkok has a t-shirt that says it. And um, it's sweet and it's flattering, but it's weird when I get emails from people who say, hey man, I love your hell yeah or no idea. I'm applying it to everything in my life. I'm like, no, 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 no. hold on. You missed the point. Like it's a specific tool. It's one tool Mm. in the toolbox for a specific situation when you're overwhelmed with opportunity. Mm -hmm. So early in your career, you should, yes, you should definitely say yes to everything. Like go crazy, sleep less, drive yourself to the point of exhaustion, saying yes to everything, trying everything, experimenting a lot, come up with tons of ideas, try to execute as many as you can, meet as many different people as you can, say yes to every gig, hold down many jobs, or ideally, don't do any one single full-time job that will take all of your time so that you can actually hold down like three or four different part-time jobs just to expand Mm -hmm. your networks and opportunities. Say yes to everything. And then when one thing takes off and one thing is rewarding you, whether that's rewarding you with praise or money or just deep satisfaction in that one thing, then that's a time to like double down on that one thing and say no to everything else. Like now it's time to put your head down and focus. Mm. So that's when hell yeah or no comes in. That's when you raise the bar all the way to the top and you start saying no to every invitation because you've already found your thing and it's already rewarding you. And ideally, everybody wants that thing from you, whether it's service or product or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's when you use hell yeah or no to raise the bar all the way. But until then, yeah, it's a better strategy to say yes to everything. Mm. I have to ask because you, so you definitely have a very unconventional, you know, you sing the counter melody in, in your writing. And to some extent, I mean, your life is is also very different than the the common life everywhere. And I get you, you said it probably isn't <laughs> that different for you because you've been traveling since you were one. And, and that that definitely played a big part. But I, wait, 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 come just, on, just say it. Just say my life is a little far out. Yeah. Come on, I was waiting for you to say that phrase. That's why I'm here. I, just, I, I think I wanted to say it and I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. He never uses that word. That's not okay. Yeah, yeah. No, your, your life is a little far out for sure. And, and I think along that, it seems like it's very rooted in a deep sense of who you are and what you want at different times of your life and, and pursuing those things you want, as you said, just going through the, like, the, what's the quickest road I can get to what I want. And I'm just wondering, what are the trade-offs for being you like that? D- is there any? Hmm, very little. I mean, some people get frustrated with me. Mm-hmm. Some people are disappointed that I don't value what they value. 
You know, metaphorically, I think of it like the family who wishes that their grown child would stay home. You know, like, oh, why Mm -hmm. don't you live next door? Wouldn't that be sweet? But instead, that grown child goes off to travel the world. And yes, the family may be upset, but your travels are not only for your personal good, but also for the greater good Mm -hmm. to expand horizons, you know? So even if the family is a little sad, that you've chosen to travel the world instead of living next door. It's like, come on, deep down, you all know it's for the greater good. So I'm saying that as a metaphor, not an example. Metaphorically, then, like the trade-offs are even when your friends or colleagues get a little frustrated with you for being weird or disappointed, it is for the greater good. It's showing the world there's a different way to be, that we don't all need to step in line and conform, that this is a totally valid and well thought through way of approaching this situation, even if it doesn't match yours. Yeah. Wow, I love that. Yeah. I feel like this this leads us really into the next topic that we want to talk about, which is freedom. Because one of the things that's really fascinating about your story is just your pursuit of freedom and your ability to create freedom for yourself later on in life. You have a, an amazing little podcast and, and blog post um, that's can be found at sivers.org slash freedom. And I think this is what I'm hearing and what you're saying of you've created as you've created this freedom for yourself to to do what you want to do and and to follow your own kind of value and inner compass. And uh, you you wrote in, in one of your posts, you wrote, but what is personal growth anyways? What do you do when you don't have to do anything? Where do you go when you don't have to be anywhere? And then you ask, is there such a thing as too much freedom? Hmm. And we, I mean, this is something that we, we have, this is something we felt, uh, both of us since we left our, our previous lives and just kind of said, fuck it. And, and let's, let's, let's go find that freedom. And, um, it's a question that I'm also still pondering. Is there such a thing as too much freedom? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Sure. Well, first I gotta say that there's a cute story about this that a friend once asked me, kind of like, you know, if you were to ask somebody like, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? So a friend said, what would you do if you could do anything? And Mm. I went, hmm, and I thought about it. And then I answered and he said, well, I got good news. We can do anything. So you can do that. (laughs) (laughs) And I went, oh, that's sweet. It's like, but then there's a funny flip side of that, which is like, okay, what would you do if you didn't have to do anything? Mm-hmm. And then no matter what you answer, it's like, well, good news. You don't have to do anything. You can refuse any obligation. Like even the ones that seem like you can't, right? Like it's like, well, you have to pay taxes. Well, no, actually you don't. You can, mm. if you don't feel like paying taxes for five years, you don't have to. There will be consequences if you don't. Like after five yeah. years, the IRS may flag your account and come back to you and say that you owe them tax plus interest. But if you're ever, ever, ever feeling, I have to do this. I have to do that. Just try to catch yourself and go, wait a minute. Yeah. Hold on. I don't have to do anything, anything, no matter what. So yeah, is there such a thing as too much freedom? I have been asking myself that question for over 13 years now. And I think I have an answer now. 
There are times in your life when you need more options. And there are times in your life when you need less options. So think of the stereotype of like a brainstorming session, which I don't know why that always sounds very corporate to me. Let's have a brainstorming <laughs> session. I picture like a room of wacky people coming up with tons of ideas, right? So at some point in the brainstorming session, you have to stop opening it up. And mm -hmm. instead you have to narrow it down if you want to produce something or act upon something, right? You have to narrow down the options at some point and reduce, you can't just leave it wide open forever or you'll never produce anything. You have to narrow it down. So I think the answer to like, is there such a thing as too much freedom? It's like, well, it depends where you're at in your life. If you've been mm. too restricted and you feel like you just need more freedom, well then no, there's still no such thing as too much freedom for you. But when you get to that point that you feel like, okay, now I'm paralyzed and drowning in options and I want to get something done, okay, well, now it's time to reduce your options, to narrow it instead of broaden it. Yeah, I'll bring up another metaphor here since we lead wilderness retreats. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think about it kind of as, you know, at some point you have to take the next step. And that is a limiting choice, right? You can only step in one direction. Before you step, you could step, you know, 360 degrees. Maybe you could go in almost any direction. But you have to step in one direction. And <laughs> perhaps after you take 10 steps, the landscape opens up differently, right? And new options show up that mm. weren't there 10 steps before. Mm, um, I like that. I was thinking of the painting metaphor where every stroke of the paintbrush on the canvas is reducing the options, Every single mm. one. You have a blank canvas that's infinite options. Whew, as soon as you put one stroke of paint on, you've now greatly reduced your future options. Whew, two <laughs> strokes. You've reduced yeah. your options even further. Yeah. I think this is this is a place that people get hung up a little bit because like when people approach me to work with me financially, I usually hear there's a couple different lines for why people make that decision. But one of them usually is, I want freedom. I want mm. to have freedom. And my question always is, freedom for what? Mm. Because to me, like I hear the, I want more freedom. And I, I, for some wacky reason, I always get a picture of an astronaut just floating through space, <laughs> like completely connected. I'm like, he's got total freedom. You know, he's like, he's nothing's pulling him or there's yeah. gravities, but he can't do anything. And so sometimes I think about it like that. And part of the process for me I found in my own life when I went and tried to get total freedom or at least something and then realized that was that was an abstract idea that does not exist in human experience. But even getting trying to get as much freedom as possible is at some point, like I'm really detached from everything. And so this kind of leads to a, a, maybe another question, which is, can you be in relationship to the world with total freedom or without being committed to it? I, I wonder if you've ran into that question yourself or, or how you might think about it? I mean, it's a sweet poetic question, like personifying the world like that. But I think that you can't be committed to, you know, quote unquote, the world. You have to make sure you know what you're really committed to, like a specific place or person or a specific outcome. Mm -hmm. um, even if you think you're committed to freedom, I, the whole time you're talking about the astronaut, I'm thinking, well, you need to dig deeper and decide what you really mean by that. And by you, I mean like whoever you're speaking to that says they want more mm -hmm. freedom. It's probably a good time 
to ask more questions, to get specific. Yeah. Freedom's a word that I, I feel like it needs a target. It's one of those, it's, although it's not a verb, is it? Uh, it's a noun, but it's it, freedom from what? Because one person's definition of freedom might be like freedom from my parents. I'm sick of doing what they tell me to do. Or somebody else might be, I just want freedom to live where mm-hmm. I want to live and just do my work nomadically. It's like, oh, okay, you want to be nomadic. That's different than the vague idea of freedom. Mm. Yeah. You know, some people want freedom, but they have a dog. It's like, well, you you have to care for your dog. You're not free. To me, that's like a, a, an option that greatly reduces your freedom to have a dog. Um, but for mm-hmm. some people, having a dog and going out on long walks is freedom. Um, so yeah, getting more specific, even with yourself, if you're listening to this interview and feel like you want more freedom, well, go to your diary and ask yourself, like, freedom from what? Like, what does that really mean in concrete, actionable terms? And, and I'll just I'll just make a side note here, because what you shared, I think I'm coming to a similar conclusion on, you know, you need you need a lot of options and then you need less options. And you kind of have to go through that ebb and flow uh, to have a because I am, imagine a life where you only have you always have endless options and it's pretty overwhelming. I mean, I remember having enough money and enough time in front of me that I could go live anywhere in the world. Call it that traveler's was, choice. Yeah, the traveler's choice. That was that was paralyzing. I ended up not live not going to that many places because of it because it was too. It, there were too many options. So I'm coming to the same conclusion, and in a bigger sense, I'm also coming to this conclusion um, that you need the contrast. Like that's, that's what makes it exciting. That's what makes for a full life. And you, you shared uh, in one of your podcast episodes from your season one, you shared this about the contrast between very, very hot and very, very cold and how that relaxation that is Hmm. in between, you know, the, the, the sauna and then going out to the ice bath in, in film, in Finland and how that is the relaxation that happens there in between each or when you just jump in the really cold water after being in the very, very hot sauna. And yeah, I, I'm seeing that for myself too. It's the same in freedom. I need a good contrast between a lot of freedom and then a bit more constraints and then a lot of freedom again and then and so on and so forth. Nice. I like it. It's. I think with a lot of things, you have to feel the pain mm. to know what yes. it's about. So same with minimalism. You know, you can't just preach at people saying you should be more of a minimalist. They go, uh-huh, okay, there's another pe- person telling me what I should do. It's yeah. it's not until you've felt the pain of having too much stuff and you've tried to take care of your stuff or you had to move house three different times and put all of your stuff into a truck and take all your stuff back out. And when you feel the pain of having too much stuff, then you're ready to wholeheartedly pare down because you've felt the pain personally, not because some blogger tells you to, right? So probably the same thing with freedom. It's like, if you're feeling like you don't have enough freedom, well, then sure, just go all the way. Say no to all obligations, mm-hmm. get completely free, go be the astronaut <laughs> drifting in space with no cord, <laughs> and then feel that pain of of indecision and too many choices. And then you'll say, okay, now I felt the pain. I can, now I get it. I see why I need to commit to some things. Yeah. And just reflecting on some of the things you've already said, it feels like it might be a very Derek move to stay, say instead of you want more freedom, 
well, perhaps you just want to, you want to be less overcommitted, mm. right? Like maybe you just flip the question and, and ask the reverse of that. Mm. That might actually be more productive sometimes. And like this abstract freedom nice. right, is actually looking at like, well, what's getting in the, what's getting in the way of that? Yeah. There, are t- there was a time four years into the history of my company, CD Baby, where I was about to quit because I just felt like uh, everybody is driving me mad at the company. Sorry, not quit. Sorry. I was just going to move to uh, Kihei in Maui in Hawaii and just just be remote because I was sick of everybody. I felt like all of my employees are dumping all of their problems on me and I just need to be far away from all of them. And I was about to book the flight. In fact, I think I even did that thing where you could reserve it for 24 hours to lock in the price. And I contacted a Mm. landlord there and I made the agreement to rent her apartment. I was going to send the money the next day. And then I slept on it. And that night before I fell asleep, I decided to get more specific in my journal. I was like, okay, so I'm sick of everybody. And it's like, as I thought through it, it was like, huh, it's really just Nikki. (laughs) Like, yeah. <laughs> wow, Nikki is really a complete pain in the ass that drives me crazy. Actually, everybody else is wonderful. This whole feeling I had of like, I need to get away from everybody. No, it's really just Nikki. Wow. I, I think I just need to deal with Nikki. Uh, and yeah, I went, so I canceled everything. I canceled the flight, canceled Kihei, canceled Hawaii. And I went in the next day. I was like, okay, Nikki, I'm sorry. <laughs> this isn't working out. <laughs> You gotta go. You had me almost move to Hawaii. Right. So. Yeah, I almost moved to Hawaii to escape you. I'm sorry. This just isn't a good fit. Um, yeah, she was in customer service at the time and it wasn't a good fit. But yeah, it it's yeah. really, really, really helps to get more specific and make yourself answer very, very specifically exactly what is it that's bothering me. Exactly what do I want freedom from? Yeah. I know that this is something I'm personally working through and I and I I would uh, greatly appreciate hearing your thoughts on it. You wrote a great blog post, uh, Local versus Global, mm. and it's found at sivers.org/local. And I think this is something maybe maybe first talk a little bit about what you what you wrote in that blog post uh and then and then I can expand on it. Sure. Okay. I mean the the idea in in an acorn is that you can focus your time locally or globally, right? So if you're local, that means that you're focusing on your community, doing things in person. But that means that you have less time to focus on the rest of the world. But if you're global, that means that you're constantly making things for the whole world. But this means you have less time to be part of your local community, wherever it is you're living. So neither approach is right or wrong. It's just that you need to be aware of the trade-offs. That's all. And that's really something I feel I'm struggling or that's a tension I feel very strongly. I do find that idea very just bang on because it really explains what we do. I feel like we have a very global focus right now. We've been living here in Guatemala for six months and we know two people in town. Pretty like we know we, we know a bit more people, but we're not we don't have any friends. We don't really go out. We we just we're also introverts, so that doesn't help, but we're just <laughs> you know, working on, on our laptops and a lot of our social interactions are online. And so by the end of the day, we're, we're tapped. When comes the weekend, I, I just want to rest. And so we don't end up going out. Obviously, right now, this the situation is preventing us from going out further, but we already weren't doing that. And I feel like... We make the joke that like, you know, we're with COVID happening and people saying what they can't do and, and 
Yeah. I heard you you make a similar joke, Derek, earlier when we were talking before we started the podcast. It's like our life really hasn't changed almost at all. Our day-to-day life yeah. it's like, hasn't. It's like, yeah. welcome to living like Alistair and Julie Roxanne. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, and I've, I find that tension, though, because I do find a lot of value in focusing my attention on the local. But as I'm developing more global things. And as I'm uh, trying to build businesses that can be done from anywhere, I find that I don't have the mental energy or really the time to invest it. You know, the time in, you know, effectively, like by on a weekly basis, I don't have the time, but I also don't have the time because I don't stay long enough in places to really invest a local environment. And so it's really something that I find tricky. And I wonder have you come to any conclusion? What What's your current, do you feel like you're more local or global these days? Do you feel like there's a balance that you found? Hmm. Well, I think it's a natural preference, kind of like introvert versus extrovert, you know, like that's one we all know, but I think we all just have a natural inclination to, mm. to one or the other. It's so for for listeners that might, if you're not sure where you stand on this, I I have some questions like I would ask friends like, okay, are you an active part of your local community where you live? Like, do you actually know lots of people where you live and get together all the time? And here's an important one. Does an in-person conversation feel more real than an over-the-phone conversation? So if so, then you're probably more local focused, even if you might be nomadic right now. But if in general, your belief system is that, yeah, well, in-person is the real deal. Phone is just, Mm. you know, then you're probably local focused in your heart. And if not, you're probably not. So I think like with the other things I've said here, you just kind of have to look at your past actions. And even if you say like, you know what, I really, I want to move to Berlin and be part of the local community or move to wherever it is and be part of the local community. Wouldn't that be great? Okay. Well, in theory, that's, you know, there's some words, (laughs) but now look at your actions. So And then the next thing is to just acknowledge your preference and go with it, even if it's unusual. And as always, people will always tell you you're wrong, you know, Mm. over and over and over again. People are always going to tell you, like, you know, whatever, whichever way you're doing it, somebody's going to say that you're wrong. So when I posted that article in 2012, I think it was, I was 42 years old. And only then, at the age of 42, did I finally realize and admit that I'm not local. Mm. I actually prefer phone conversations to in-person conversations. And this actually kind of infuriates one of my best friends. Uh, We've been best friends for, I don't know, 10 plus years. We talk on the phone every day and she always talks about getting on a plane to come see me. I'm like, nah, don't do that. Like... (laughs) <laughs> Seriously, something we can't do over the phone? Like, we're just going to talk in person. You know, save the airfare. So I actually prefer talking with friends on the other side of the world um, over people where I live. That's mm. my, um, that's the preference I keep coming back to. But I forget exactly how you put the question, but you asked um, like if it's changing or something. But I'm just... Yeah, uh, yeah I was just wondering if you if there's a balance or not, but I'm, I'm sensing you might still be more globally oriented. I am, but I'll admit that the whole COVID corona thing got me reevaluating this given the current situation. So I am one of the lucky few on earth that I am a New Zealand citizen. And New Zealand is closed to all but citizens right now. 
Only citizens are allowed in the country right now. And it's really, really, really tempting to move back to New Zealand and just decide like, all right, you know what? For the next many years, travel is just not as appealing as it was a year ago. So this whole like being global and just, you know, constantly flittering around from one place to another, I think I'm going to try the opposite for a while. So New Zealand feels like a place. I mean, well, actually, I know it's a place that in my heart I could actually really commit to. And for the first time, maybe ever in my life, be a part of a local community. That's really kind of exciting to me now. So yeah. yeah, we'll see, you know, ask me again in a year. We'll see what happens. Yeah, keep us posted. I'm really curious. I'm curious on this and you're you're already kind of alluding to it, but I, I feel like I've been a little bit shaken uh, by the virus as well. As for, I mean, we had a travel company and we just, yeah. you know, we're in the process of uh, canceling or, or rescheduling all of our trips. And, and in my mind, I'm like, I'm not even, I'm not sure when you can, you will be able to do that again um, for yeah. uh, several reasons. And I guess there's also the nagging sense of I've always been very hyper aware of what it costs the world to right. fly. Mm. But then there's the other side of it. And I sense I hear you kind of, you know, we've both seems like we've both been very influenced by travel. And it's played such a strong role in my life for learning other cultures or or experiencing them and learning a lot about myself as well. It's been it's been a really big part of it. And so I find myself kind of really conflicted and the virus is kind of pouring fuel on that fire as I guess what the role of travel might be in the future. And if that should, I don't know if that's something personally, like having a travel company, if if that's really, if I should be kind of promoting that. Right. Right. And I'm just curious as someone else who's been very influenced by travel and it seems like it's played an integral role in, in who you are and how are you starting to think about that? Or are you thinking about that? (laughs) I am thinking so, 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 so much about it. (laughs) I have so much to say about this. Um, And in fact, what's really interesting is I've been talking with all of my friends about travel recently Mm. and realized that we all travel for different reasons, right? Like, let's assume that, uh, let's say four people fly to Zanzibar in Tanzania. So, One wants to escape to a luxurious beach resort. One wants to learn Swahili from the source. Uh, One wants to take impressive photos and get Instagram attention. And let's say that one wants to understand the local music scene, right? So you can question each of those, asking yourself if you really need to hop on a $2,000 12-hour flight to that place to do that thing. Right. Mm. So if we go back through those four examples, like if you just really want to escape, well, then you could just drive somewhere nearby without your devices. Just leave your phone at home and just go be completely unreachable in a serene cabin an hour away by car somewhere. Right. And Mm. so you might only be an hour away by car, but you're infinitely away from your regular life if you don't bring your phone. So that can actually be an amazing escape right near home. If you really want to learn Swahili, well, you can do that online from home, obviously. Uh, If you really want Instagram attention, well, now you can challenge yourself to get it from something you're creating, not just consuming, right? Like any Mm. idiot can get on a plane. That's not impressive. I never understood that thing where we're supposed to be impressed 
that somebody got on a plane. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's just not impressive. You got on a plane, big deal. So, um, but the last one, like, if you want to understand the local music scene in Zanzibar, and I'm actually using this example because that's something that I wanted to do and actually booked a flight to go there and do. And I was going to go stay at a recording studio in Zanzibar for two weeks because I really wanted to understand the local music scene there. And it fell through at the last minute because of blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that that example is still on my mind, right? So even in that example, that it's tougher. But if you make the pessimistic assumption that travel will now be impossible or near to it, or just assume that, you know, the, the cost of a flight goes up a thousand percent, right? Then you can be resourceful and you can find a way to do whatever you wanted to do without actually getting on a plane and going somewhere, right? So you can hire a local assistant to be your eyes, ears, and researcher in that place. And maybe if you really specifically care about this one thing, like the Zanzibar music scene, well, then you could just make a website promoting the Zanzibar music scene before you even know anything about it. And then you can use that as a key to get in the door because everybody wants promotion. Everybody's happy to talk to somebody that's going to give them some promotion. And so then you could schedule interviews with all the movers and shakers in the Zanzibar music scene and go ask a million questions. And you can do all of that from wherever you are without getting on a plane. I think that getting on a plane maybe for years now has been a bit of a red herring or a um, placebo or there's, I think there's another word I'm looking for. It's, it's something that made you feel like you were getting to know a place like, mm. Hey, look, I got on a plane to Istanbul and walked around and saw the grand bazaar and the Hagia Sophia. I've been to Istanbul. Now I can tick that off my list and yeah. I can tell everybody I've been to Istanbul but did you really understand Istanbul by walking around it? Or perhaps would you have made a better use of 20 or 30 hours of your time instead of booking flights and traveling and, you know, the logistics of picking a hotel and then walking around the Grand Bazaar? You could have spent that same 20 or 30 hours reading books about Istanbul, booking one-on-one -on -one conversations, phone conversations with people from Istanbul that you can get them on the phone somehow through Friends of Friends or go to italki.com or whatever and ask them a million questions about Istanbul and have hours of one-on-one -on -one conversations with people in a way that you wouldn't if you were just walking around the Grand Bazaar and everybody's just trying to sell you something. So yeah, a few months ago, I would have told anybody who asked that travel is one of my top two or three priorities in life. Just maybe, you know, my kid's my top priority, maybe something else number two, but travel would be in my top three, right? And now I'm just hypothetically assuming it's impossible Mm -hmm. yeah. And by doing so, like that little thought exercise I just walked through with Zanzibar, I've just realized that it's not necessary. There are more direct ways to get what I want from the reasons I was traveling. And as you can tell, in my little example, I was more like the fourth example where the, the only reason I was traveling to all of these places is I wanted to understand the culture so badly and it's been funny talking to friends about travel and my friends are just shaking their head going, no, that's not why I travel at all. <laughs> I travel because I just mm. want to get away and be in a different place, you know? And so, yeah, we all have our own reasons for traveling, but for the reason I travel, yeah, I'm just slowly realizing that um, maybe sitting in the nature paradise of New Zealand and doing all this over the internet is a more efficient way 
to do it. And then, yeah, not spewing pollution, pollution into the air. And maybe if I feel like that thousands of dollars I would have given to Delta Airlines and Marriott or whatever, if I feel that I have it to spare, I can give it directly to somebody who needs it in the place I would have gone. I like your thought example. And I've, I, I really like the creative ways of thinking about, okay, well, what am I really after here? And how might I get that? And couldn't help but place myself in your four person example. And I think I'd be the fifth person. Because um, <laughs> I, I sense you know, a lot, one of the reasons I travel, and I don't think I would have said this when I started, it's more something I've realized from doing it. It feels like more like kind of a, an inner drive that, that hasn't, I haven't totally been aware of, but when I look back on it, I can see it much more clearly, which is, has been to explore myself. And, and of course, there's many ways to explore yourself. Travel does not have a monopoly on that. But what I really appreci- have appreciated about travel, when I look back on it, is this process of journeying and is it's but it but it's also the process it's the culture shock it's actually putting myself in a completely different environment that shocks me into thinking different ways than I could have imagined like where I couldn't have led myself there i it, it's almost the random chance and also just the bizarreness of it that kind of shocks me into thinking different ways considering different perspectives and i think for me that's where i get a little conflicted still because i I still feel like travel is one of the best ways to do that. But I do look at the consequences of travel and I'm like, well, so yeah, I don't know. I guess I'd be the fifth person there, but I I, I think I'm coming to similar conclusions as you. But I also, when I look back on travel, realize that it's done a lot for me that I didn't intend that, that maybe I would have, maybe would call side effects in a way. But when I look back, they're the things I'm most grateful for having done it, but they're not the things I aimed right. to do. Yeah, I'm going to do an experiment, and I might even suggest this for you too, that pick a country that you guys think you would have gone to next, and instead actually make it like a little self-directed course where you read, say, three or four books about that place, and not just Lonely Planet, but like deeper books about that place. Go watch three or four of the top all-time movies from that place with subtitles so that you can understand what's valued in that culture through fiction. And then use italki.com or whatever these random services are out there for people that are willing to talk to strangers and go book like 20 hours of one-on-one phone calls with people from that place and come prepared with a list of 100 questions you have about that place. And if you do that, I think, yes, in a perfect world, you could, you would be physically present there. But if it's not possible to be physically present there, I think these things will pull out the same reaction in you that you would have had from being there or something similar to it. You know, you'll still be thinking how your beliefs match or clash with the beliefs or the ways of this place. I really like that. I think, uh, it, it, yeah, because I, I fall, I'm pretty, I agree with Alistair. Like, I, I, I resonated with what you shared, but I, I can see how that would be very I think we'd have to try it before we could make a judgment yeah, on it. I'm feeling yeah. the same way. In theory, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like a nice idea. Who knows? I might hate it. I might be completely wrong. But but as of right now, if I'm pessimistically assuming I won't be able to travel anymore, well, exactly, then yeah. this is a nice way to, in theory, to continue to get what I wanted from travel. Yeah, I think it's a great suggestion and it's definitely worth exploring before commenting on because I think 
that's quite a journey as well. Uh, it's yeah. just a slightly different one. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Well, we are at our last question for you today. While doing our research on you, we came to the realization you share a lot about like how your days go. And and it seems like you you sleep about five hours, <laughs> you get up, you work from five to midnight and then you go to sleep and you do it again the and, next day. And I think you even had the nickname The Machine at some point. Oh, yeah. In your life. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, um, Actually, I get I sleep tired. From, I sleep from midnight yeah, to five, ahead. not five to midnight. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I wish yeah, I slept that, from five dad. to midnight. That'd be cool. <laughs> Talk about being different. Yeah. No, yeah. Midnight to five and then you just work until you, from five to midnight and then you start again. And I just, as someone who needs to rest very often throughout my day and who can never get everything done that I want to get done in the day, I have to ask, how do you have the mental energy to do all this? <laughs> um, <laughs> people always seem more impressive from the outside. <laughs> all right. I, I usually right. feel the same as what you just said every day. <laughs> it's just never enough. I can't get it all done, but I guess that's why I uh, am pretty sleepless. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to know you're human like the rest of us. It is good. It is good. <laughs> Well, Derek, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was a great conversation. Yeah. I feel like I learned a lot. Yes, yeah. thank you. You too. Thanks for having me. Is there is there any place that you want to direct people uh, to find you and what Zanzibar. you write? <laughs> <laughs> Zanzibar. Zanzibar. <laughs> um, uh, just go to Sivers.org. You know, I don't really do social media. Everything I do, everything I've ever done and will do is on Sivers.org. And just like Alistair emailed me in 2012, you should click the contact me link and send me an email and introduce yourself and say hello. And uh, that's actually one of my favorite things about what I do is meeting people from all around the world. So yeah, introduce yourself and say hello. Yeah, right. I love that. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we're, we're done here, I guess. <laughs> thank you, Derek. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to that. Thank you. And thank you, Derek, for being on the podcast. That was awesome. Thank you, Derek. If you're curious to hear more, uh, we actually recorded a lightning round with him that's going to be on our Patreon as bonus content. Yeah, we asked him some uh, about 10 personal questions. Yeah. And some of the responses were really interesting, actually. We asked him where he uh, hasn't been, where he would like to go. We asked him where he would go back in time if he could. And his answer was very surprising, that but also super thoughtful. And we also asked him what question he would ask God. <laughs> so... If you want to hear those, those bonus material, which ended up being like a kind of an add-on conversation, yeah. uh, go to patreon.com slash thefaroutcouple. And if you support us as low as the $3 level, you have access to all the exclusive content we've ever created. And we're starting to have a really cool library over there. Yeah. Two other ways you can support this podcast. You can share it with a friend. Or share it on your, you know, social media places. I thought it was a really interesting conversation. And uh, yeah, I have to say I had a lot of fun having it. Yes. Um, so if you enjoyed listening to it, please spread the word. Spread it. And the other thing you can do is leave us a review on iTunes. Yeah. All the reviews help. They help us. Get found more easily. Mm. And then you get rewarded because we read it on this podcast at the beginning of, of our next episode. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's amazing. I, I like that. I think it's great. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, let's, we'll see you next time. Toodles. Toodles. Cheers.